0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Welcome to the latest History Today podcast in which Ian Mortimer discusses historical fiction and his latest novel, Sacred Treason, with our very own Catherine Hadley.
0: Your book, Sacred Treason, it was Mm -hmm. published in April. um, And I think you've got a sequel to that coming out in July called Roots of Betrayal.
1: Yes, these are written. I hope to jump in there and say these are written under my middle name, James Forrester. They're not written as Ian Mortimer books. And I keep a very strict definition between the two. If I'm inventing it, if I'm telling a story, it's fiction, it's a James Forrester book. If I'm writing non fiction and trying to persuade you it really happened or is a reflection of reality, it's an Ian Mortimer book.
0: Right. So where has where that name, James Forrester, come from? Yeah, that's my middle your, names. That's your middle I'm Ian
1: James Forrester Mortimer, and you know, okay. I, I like to be called Ian James, but it's a bit of a mouthful for quite a lot of people. So Ian is where I've settled over the years. Uh, but no, it's my middle name. I'm not pretending to be anyone, anyone else. It's, it just has to be uh, emphasised. It's not non-fiction. I wouldn't want anybody to pick up a book of mine and uh, find they're reading a novel if they're expecting an in-depth analysis with... Two hundred thousand words and uh, twenty thousand words of appendices on Elizabeth's reign, or something like that.
0: No, yeah, that's that's very interesting that um, that you've said that because one of my first questions was why why have you changed? I mean, you previously wrote some um, medieval biographies and so it was very much factual, mm-hmm. more academic research, mm-hmm. and why all of a sudden have you turned to Well, my PhD is in
1: early modern social history, so it's, uh, my first books were uh, 17th century and 16th century documents. So they, those have, uh, I hope, demonstrated a, a long-term interest in this period. And I, I do find it extraordinary how have this straight approach to history. I and mean, if you're interested in humanity over time, and history is about humanity given its temporal experience over thousands of years, if you're interested in that, then why just concentrate on a specific period of time? Because there were likable people in the 7th century as well as in the medieval or in the 17th. Um, and there are things to be learnt from all centuries, and there are uh, lessons to be learnt from all over the place. So I don't really follow this idea of just sticking to one time period. I understand why academics do, because they have a responsibility. But for those people like me who aren't constrained by academic uh, boundaries, there's a whole world out there, you know, a whole world of time.
0: But why turn towards historical fiction? Because, I mean, it is quite a different. Genre writing, you know,
1: scholarly papers and articles. Yeah, but I mean, if you, scholarly papers and articles—I mean, all academic history, all non-fiction—is just a fraction of what is history. I mean, if you think in terms of uh, Gray's elegy, eighteenth-century poem about being in a country churchyard and seeing all the dead laid there, and taking great spiritual and personal strength from just understanding the relationship with time and the, the cattle coming home, and, the, and and all these aspects of an engagement with the past. You couldn't squeeze that into a history book. It's much more of a a, a, a spiritual exercise than a, a strictly speaking, historical one. And yet it's history. Same way when you go to a a castle and appreciate how people lived in the past. What you're really getting from it is something about the meaning of um, the experience of humanity over time and violence or, or fear or protection. It's not just about who lived here, when, and what places they held their manners, and etc., and what the political history was. I mean, history as we see it is such a small fragment of the world that is history uh, that I want to explore that some of those other things. And there's lots of things I want to say about the past, as I picked up from engaging with the past over an entire lifetime, that I could never do in a history book.
0: And would you use the same sources, then, to write historical fiction? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not, it's not pure fact, so do you use the same sources as for purely sort of scholarly history?
1: Ah, same sources. Well, more um, more uh, if I'm writing uh, non-fiction um, in an area where I want to write something that's going to have lasting value, um, so the historical biography is a good good example, then I will search out all the, the source material, the original source material I can, that I can afford to do in the time I have available to, to do it, um, and I'll be systematic and thorough comprehensive if you're writing fiction and you want uh, an answer that is true as opposed to one you just made up yourself because the actual reality of the time you're trying to explore is less important than what you have to say, then uh, then I'll go and find out that one piece. Yes, I know where to look for, for my sources, having been at the Royal Commission on Historical Manuscripts for five years telling people how to do historical research and a good position to find things out. But the, 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 the actual details in the fiction are less important. If I realise I've got something wrong, I'll correct it. If I'm not sure, I'll make it up. It's fiction. It's written really set, uh, to, to have greater meaning than a uh, uh, historical study because it's not about the past. Uh, and that's the great thing you can do in historical fiction is to demonstrate what you can learn from the past about humanity and time generally. Uh, and for the 16th century especially, you can use that period... As like a, a magnifying glass on human emotion. You can use the fear of religion to show how important religion was at the time. And the, all the upheavals with uh, Elizabeth coming in in 1558 and the, the Protestant settlement in 1559. So there's that sort of amplification of the importance of religion in people's lives. And then you can look at how important it was on a moral front to, to be faithful to one's spouse as a, an a magnifier on the importance of fidelity. These days people really don't give two hoots if, uh, uh, unless you're a celebrity trying to get a super junction, in which case it's all over the papers, but they don't really do, care two hoots about fidelity by comparison with the importance in the past. And loyalty to the state also. You, it's a magnifying glass for accentuating these things. But what I'm really doing is talking about life in all time, not just the 16th century.
0: So would you say that I mean, it's it's a tricky question, but can historical fiction provide a greater understanding of the past, or is it merely that it's just? Well, I don't different? try and do that.
1: I am, I'm not interested in fiction in enhancing people's understandings of the past. In fiction, I'm using the past to demonstrate how we can say something which is true today and more meaningful for us today. So it's a lesson from the past, and. Uh, Understandings about the meaning of life over time, which I think are important. I'm not trying to show how the 16th century was. But to answer your question more precisely, you can, in a few instances, have some new insight into the past through fiction. Um, and you can put doubts, especially, in people's minds where there was certainty before by raising questions of fiction. You can reverse prejudices also, because most of the, the periods of history well, certainly about med- medieval history, a lot of it is about men written by men. Um, Women—it's very difficult to find good source material for not women in the Middle Ages. So, if you wanted to explore that and really give some thought to it, yes, you should look at the sources. But fiction can then go and show the reverse of what we think about the Middle Ages by showing how stilted they are, how dominated by male narrative they are. So, in those senses, they can. But that's not exactly what I'm about.
0: And would you say that you're trying to reach a different audience um, in writing historical fiction or to extend history to a wider, more general public because you think they can engage with fiction and with a story, as it were, more than...
1: Um, well, yes, I'm mean, giving my previous answer that I'm not really trying to get people interested in the 16th century in my novels. I'm using the 16th century to say, amplify things I want to say about Life generally. Um, it's an interesting question, this idea of audience. I was at a, 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 an event at um, where was it, Nottingham University recently, accessing the medieval, and they were talking there about how you teach people to write for a larger audience. And it struck me in that event, the one thing you cannot teach is a sense of your audience. You can't teach it. It's something you have to learn for yourself. You can't tell somebody who their audience is and how to address them, uh, because the audience might not be interested. So you have to f- sense your way to this audience. And yes, I, I, I sense that my audience for fiction is very different from uh, the audience for non-fiction. Um, my audience for non-fiction is, I think, very English, uh, very concerned with um, uh, a, a, perhaps a conservative view of the past. Uh, certainly I managed to cause a lot of arguments, so I'm pretty sure I've uh, ruffled a few feathers there. Uh, and I think that the, the, the fiction is, is far broader... Um, uh, community which isn't so engaged in what actually happened as escapism, enjoyment, the thrill of the chase, if you can understand that in a general sense, um, but also the the, the, the the fact that there are all sorts of people in the world all over time and we, we can't just be pigeonholed into, into historical categories.
0: Yeah, I suppose my only problem with that is that um, in a way you're sort of pushing the the boundaries of what history is and how you study history and absolutely you argue i'm that, pushing more as I mean, far as i can there's two it seems that there's two strands of history this sort of you know getting a public interest in history a pu- you know a, a general understanding of the past but then there's also a very kind of scholarly and academic aspect mm. to that and you know a critical examination of sources um, i mean how how do you how do you deal with that and well
1: i, I in terms of critical examination, I've proved I can do that. One of the role is local society Alexander Price, so I, I've proved I can do it. I don't think it has um, significance for a very large number of people, academia now. I think uh, a point that David Caverdine made not long ago was that in the 1950s there were only 100 professional historians in this country, now we have 3,000. Is the standard of writing from academics better than it was in the 1950s and early 1960s? I don't think it is. In fact, I think there are very few writers who are employed by universities as academics who are really engaging the past in big questions and big discussions. And further to this, I point out that uh, when the TLS selected its uh, 100 most influential books since the Second World War in 1995, um, there were a large number of history books. And the most recent one on that list, though, was published in 1971, Everything else had dated from this period when we actually had very few academic historians. Now, we we have lost quite a lot of our focus on what academic history is really doing and who it is addressing. Because if all 3,000 academic historians in this country were writing for a mass public, there would be such competition. Uh, You'd get lost in what they would have to say. So uh, I I think, in many ways, our academic system is fine and wonderful. as an educational process. It teaches people... Uh, how to analyse evidence and to come to judgments on what actually happened in the past and to come up with ways of questioning what we believe happened in the past but that's as far as it can go you can't have academics changing people's lives through literature it doesn't happen and when Waterstones did their greatest books of the 20th century there wasn't a single history book on it and uh, if you want to have historians really uh, affecting the way people think about their position in the world they need to go beyond academic frontiers, they need to take risks, they need to pioneer new forms of history and to discover, uh, yeah, redefine, as you put it, boundaries of what history is. And that's very much what I see as my role.
0: Well, I mean, there's certainly been a huge um, output of historical fiction recently, which seems to have been, I mean, um, uh, which seems to be becoming increasingly popular, and it seems that you've almost gone down that route. Is that what do, you, do you
1: think that you've... No, I've always, I, mean, I started off as a poet, um, but there's no money in poetry. Uh, my first book written for the public was written as historical fiction. The Greatest Traitor, which is my first non-fiction biography, was originally written as a novel, The Highest Treason. Uh, I didn't get a publisher, and when I thought about it, I thought there was far too much here for me to... Uh, far, far too many factual discoveries me to just commit it to the dustbin or, or, or leave it as a shortened novel. So I rewrote it as a, a, a non-fiction biography. And having realised the the, the the power of biography, I then carried on for the next four generations, five generations. Um, so I've, I've always had these models in mind. It's just that I didn't have the opportunity in 1990, whenever it was, uh, uh, I can't which year exactly, to publish it. Uh, and I'm Glad, in retrospect, I had the opportunity to explore more thoroughly the non-fiction side of my work first. Um, I mean, I think of myself really, uh, in any of these genres, primarily a poet, but I'm just not actually a very good poet. So I try to express the poetry I feel and want to communicate in in history, in popular history, and in fiction.
0: And just a final question, Um, have you got any future... Projects, are you
1: going to? Well, of course, I have. I've got loads of future projects. I, I'm going to bring the the, the, the trilogy, which is uh, these f- historical novels. First one being Sacred Trees, and second one being Roots of Betrayal. The third one, The Final Sacrament, will bring to a conclusion um, this question about loyalty and importance of things in people's lives. Is it the state that should command your absolute loyalty, your religion, or your? family, including your spouse. And that's all going to come to, to a, a final, climactic conclusion. But I also want to write novels about people who sell themselves to the devil and live for 600 years, or people who go back in time, in a not in the unusual sense. I've got a very strange idea about how I can do that. Um, I want to write about engagement across time to reveal truths which I perceive from understanding the past in long periods of time, which I want to communicate. and I, I, I think I can. And in the history side of things, there are just as many Ideas. I want to investigate the nature of change um, ac- across a thousand years, uh, and uh, I want to write more time travelers' guides as well. Thank you very much. Right, my pleasure. Thank you. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times